Say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Hi, and welcome to Bless Our School Sunday. I'm Susan. And on behalf of Moms in Prayer International, I want to thank you for joining with us this Sunday as women and churches across the world, from Canada to the Caribbean to Cameroon, are praying for children and for schools. And I know that you're concerned about this back-to-school season. I am too. It looks different than any back-to-school season we have ever faced before, but we as the body of Christ have hope because God is our hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can trust our God of hope because He is faithful and He is true and every promise He fulfills. As we come together as a church body, let's declare that and let's stand in the gap and seek His blessings, His provision, His protection, His guidance for our children, for their teachers, for their administrators, and for the school staff. And moms, if you want to impact children in schools locally for Christ, I hope that you'll pray about joining or starting a Moms in Prayer group in your area. 
You can find all the details at momsandprayer.org. Thank you again for joining in in this global impact for Christ today on Bless Our School Sunday. Good morning and uh, welcome to Cypress Bible Church. My name is John Bukema. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, so glad you've joined us for worship, whether in person or uh, via live stream. Uh, last week, uh, there were over 600 people physically here on campus, and uh, it's been exciting to see so many safely gathering again. And as uh, numbers continue to grow, uh, there will be times where we will need to ask you to move toward the center so that you can provide some space on the ends of the rows while maintaining uh, proper distancing. So please uh, be prepared for that. Uh, we do live in uniquely challenging times. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Uh, how should we respond in times like these as a church? Uh, what should we do? Well, we want to seek the, the heart of our Heavenly Father. Inviting you to uh, join us in a 30-day period of prayer and fasting. Uh, starting October 4th through Monday, November 2nd, we'll have a different prayer theme each week and some instruction and encouragement about times to, uh, uh, to fast and uh, what to focus on. There will be daily communications as to uh, uh, how uh, to, to help remind you to spend a few moments in prayer uh, each day. I'll provide uh, more detail in all of that soon, uh, but I'm anxious to see how God will use this time to reveal His will and to advance His kingdom. Our call to worship this morning, I want to uh, use some words from Moses. He spoke to the people of Israel. Uh, they were no longer slaves in Egypt and are headed toward the land of promise. And Moses lets them know that this land is filled with, with enemy nations, all of them, he says, bigger and stronger than Israel. But he assures them of God's power and love and faithfulness. And speaking of the troubles that are ahead, he says in Deuteronomy 7.21, Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. We serve this same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together, let's declare his greatness. Would you stand with me and let's do that.
Trenton, I really like that song. It's not what I grew up on, but I love the fact that it honors the Lord God and declares who He is and what He has done. I know, Mr. Nelson. It's actually a bit old school for me, too. <laughs> Just call me Woody. But I love that it honors our God. You know, we may not always have the same taste in music and maybe a few other things like hairstyles, but we can definitely agree that Jesus is Lord and we want to see him glorified. Amen to that. And we can agree that we want the world to know Jesus. He is our hope. He is our savior. And we're all called to make disciples no matter who we are, what we look like, what age we are, or even the music we like. That's, That's something, something we can all believe and agree on. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and, and the, the life everlasting. everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God.
God.
I'm the elementary children's pastor here at CBC, and this is Avalyn Herman, our early, our early childhood uh, director at CBC. Um, and we're so glad to be here with you all this morning because we get to celebrate child dedication. Uh, we have been looking forward to this moment for a long time to be able to gather in one place uh, and celebrate some of our families. I want to read from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Uh, and this is... Uh, spoken to all the people of Israel. Um, so it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, what I love about this passage, I've said it before, is that this is not just written to parents, um, but written to the community of Israel uh, to raise up their children to know the Lord. And uh, we have a, a similar uh, encouragement for us to raise up the children of the church, um, for each of us to be an influence on our families and on our kids, uh, to help them know God. Um, help them love him. And uh, we especially know that parents have that very special privilege of uh, being the primary spiritual influences in their children. So today we're celebrating uh, with the Turners. And Matt and Becca Turner are parents to these two beautiful boys. Um, Caleb, who's five years old, and Isaac, 18 months old. And today they're dedicating Isaac Mark Turner. Uh, he's described as energetic, incredibly energetic boy, uh, persistent, obstacles do not faze him. Um, he's always hungry, which probably is why one and two are applicable. And he's very affectionate, very liberal with the hugs and kisses. So um, at this time, the parents will do their blessing. We'll try this one. Isaac, today we bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. It is our hope first that the Lord will reveal himself to you and that you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It is our desire for the Lord to use your life to bring glory to himself. We pray that the Lord fill you with his spirit, give you a heart full of joy and thanksgiving, build you into a generous and compassionate man, and give you a love for his word. Your name, Isaac, means son of laughter. 
Your life has brought so much laughter and joy already, and we hope that as you grow older, you will bring laughter and joy to those around you. We know that true joy comes from following the word of God. In the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, the law of God was rediscovered and read to all the people. At the hearing of the scripture, the people first wept and mourned, but then were filled with joy because they had understood the word of God. It is our hope that you will openly share the word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ with those you encounter. May the Lord hear it, and may those who hear it understand and rejoice. In keeping with this, the verse we have chosen for you is Nehemiah 8, verses 8 and 12. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the word that had been made known to them. So at this point, uh, we're going to have uh, the Turners uh, uh, speak out from the, the slides of the parent dedication. Um, and I encourage any other parents that are uh, uh, with us today, if you want to say these words as well along with them, um, feel free to. I'll be reading them with them as well. Uh, so this is the parental commitment. We recognize that children are a gift from God, and as parents, we have the responsibility to prepare our child for life. We affirm that the most important preparation for life includes their own relationship to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we commit to the following. To model for our child what becoming more like Jesus looks like. To pray for our child regularly to instruct and guide our child in their understanding of what it means to become more like Jesus. And so the parents are making a commitment today, and we asked the church uh, to make a commitment as well. And so um, the church, if you would read this with us, we recognize our role as a church family is to walk beside these families, to pray for them, to encourage them, to be good models of those becoming more like Jesus, and as God prompts us to participate in the care and instruction of these children and parents through our own personal ministry and the ministries of the church. We'd like to recognize uh, the friends and family of uh, Becca and Matt that are here with us today. If y'all would like to go ahead and stand, uh, and uh, we're going to close in prayer for Isaac. So would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this celebration. I thank you for this dedication of Isaac Turner. Thank you so much that CBC gets to be a part of his life, uh, for his teachers and for people in Matt and Becca's life, uh, for the family that's here today and the friends and people that aren't here, for all the people that you have placed in his life that will encourage him, that will teach him, that will love him and mentor him. God, just as Matt and Becca said, uh, we want Isaac to grow up to be a, a man of joy, uh, full of joy in you. And just as we read in Nehemiah, may his joy be found in you. May he find his faith in Jesus. And so we thank you for Matt and Becca. Pray that you equip them as they continually meet his needs and help uh, model what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I pray for Caleb uh, that he might be a good big brother to Isaac and uh, continue to love him and care for him. And I pray for this church that we might uh, be uh, support, encouragement. Uh, we might be uh, friends and family who walk along Matt and Becca, Isaac and Caleb, as they continue to become more like Jesus as a family. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together as we continue to declare our faith in the Lord God Almighty. Let's sing together. Yes, I believe.
I believe in life eternal. Lift your voice now. Sing it out. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. And in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection. When Jesus comes again. disagree, it's uh, not over big things. Uh, we have maybe a difference of opinion about things that are generally quite small. So let me give you some uh, very recent examples. On uh, Monday, I came home. I had not eaten all day. I grabbed a bag of almonds, and I got a uh, handful of almonds, began to eat them. Then I had a phone call I needed to do, and when I was done with the phone call, I came out and got some more almonds, and as I was eating those, Amy said, those are rancid, you know. And I said, well, no, they taste pretty good, and I continued to eat them, and I, I don't think they're rancid. She said, no, th those are rancid. And, and so we had that difference of opinion until I, I Googled whether it was uh, safe to eat rancid almonds, and I stopped eating them. Uh, but it was a difference of opinion. Um, the and then uh, yesterday we played tennis, and we had a difference of opinion about some of the balls that were in and some were out and what the score was. And, and then later yesterday I uh, trimmed some bushes in the backyard and cut some limbs off trees, and we had a difference of opinion of why I cut the honeysuckle bush down uh, or whatever that was. I didn't know what it was. Uh, so there, there was a difference of opinion. And uh, we, I think we had one when the, the, the Chris Paul a Russell Westbrook trade happened. I was against it. She was for it. You believe that? So, uh, or I think the optimal number of pillows for a bed is two. Her number is somewhere around 15. So we have a, a difference of opinion. But the reality is that we're both on Team Jesus. And so everything else falls in the line under that uh, bigger uh, understanding that we have. Unlike the, uh, the newlywed uh, who after three weeks of of marriage, uh, called up her pastor, the one who had performed the ceremony, in a panic. She said, Pastor, Pastor, we, we, uh, it's, I'm in trouble. we've had our first fight. And he said, oh, don't, 
don't worry. He said, that's going to happen. You're, you're bound to have that first fight eventually. And, and she said, but, but I, I don't know what to do with the body. And uh, so that's, uh, that, that's a problem there. There's a big difference between a, a difference of opinion and division, between disagreement and uh, deadly disunity. And that's our focus today as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians. Last week, I, I summarized uh, at least a thousand pages of historical background information into just a few moments, uh, and I'm not going to repeat all of that, uh, but to remind you that this is a, a church that Paul, the apostle, started. He was there for about a year and a half, and he traveled on to Ephesus to continue his missionary work. And, and then over the course of the next couple of years, th- this young church developed great conflict and division and problems. There was sexual sin, there was theological misunderstanding and selfishness and spiritual pride, and they were adjusting doctrine to uh, fit in with the culture that surrounded them. And so Paul wrote this letter to correct some of those problems. And this message is extremely relevant for God's people today. Uh, Because those same errors are with us now in our world. And so look at the issue that Paul tackles first as we uh, pick up uh, where we left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now notice how Paul refers to these people as brothers uh, and emphasizing their family connection. You might object that this is a bit sexist, but not so. Uh, When this Greek word, uh, adelphoi, that's the plural form of brother, uh, is used, it it either does refer just to men or uh, it can collectively refer to women and men, and the context determines which of those is true. And because Paul addresses the entire church throughout this letter, uh, the word Adelphoi here should be read sisters and brothers. And he is speaking to them, he doesn't say, I command you. He doesn't say, I demand, I'm ordering you. He appeals to them. He gives them the strong encouragement, a firm request to family. And that family comes through the relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this threefold reference to Jesus. Lord refers to his deity, that he is the sovereign God, Lord over all. Jesus is his name, the one who came to save. He is the Savior, sacrifice for our sin. Christ is his title. It's not his second name, it's his title. It's Messiah, anointed one, the the promised one, who is also the returning king. And so to all of those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, who have been washed clean from their sin by his blood, adopted into the family, Paul says, I beg you to agree, to agree. Now it's important to understand that Paul is not begging them to all wear the same clothes and and, uh, live in the same house and drink the the Kool-Aid. That's not at all what he's saying. If you go into a church or a a small group that where everybody's wearing the same thing and looks identical, it's a cult. Leave quickly. Uh, That's not what this is about. He's not even saying, y'all have to have the same opinion about everything. No, no, no. Uh, It's clear as he talks later in the book that there are 
great differences between us in terms of how we think and our background and all the rest. No, there's something very important in which he wants them to agree. And the problem is that there are divisions. Uh, the Greek word is schismata, which is where we get our word schism. It, it means literally to be ripped apart, to be torn apart. And so there are factions in the church. Uh, they're involved with some serious arguments with each other in the church. Uh, and he knows this because Chloe's people told him. Uh, Chloe is a prominent businesswoman in Ephesus. Ephesus is where Paul is writing this letter right now. And so he hears through Chloe's people. Who are Chloe's people? Well, they're either business contacts that she has in Corinth or family that she has in Corinth. They're her people. And so these folks tell Paul things that the Corinthian church did not tell him when they said, hey, we've got some problems. Will you answer some questions? They didn't share everything. And, and, and what they hadn't mentioned was that they were quarreling. And you say, well, that doesn't sound so bad, quarreling. People quarrel. No, no, this is bad. Arides uh, is the Greek word, and it's, and it's one that means fighting and selfish rivalry. Let me tell you how bad it is. Uh, this word makes the list of some very sinful behavior in Romans chapter 1 and Galatians 5, and those lists include lying, adultery, murder, drunkenness, and heresy, and quarreling. So this is serious business. It's dangerous and damaging in the church. Uh, this kind of quarreling and dividing is sub-Christian behavior. And so Paul appeals to them as sisters and brothers in Christ not to do this any longer. Now, his, what, what he says to them, I would want to break it down into two questions that we'll answer. One is, what causes disunity in the church? So we'll look at what he says and see what, what are the causes of disunity in the church. And he mentions two of them. And uh, what is it that creates unity in the church? That's where we're headed. That's what we want to get to. Uh, that's the most important question. What creates unity? But first of all, what is it that causes disunity in the church? There are lots of causes, uh, lots of things that can get in the way, but there are a couple of them that Paul uh, majors on here. And the first one is this. Uniting around personality causes disunity. Notice verses 12 and 13. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So everybody at Corinth had their favorite pastor, their favorite teacher, their favorite communicator. And by the way, this, is not, this division here is not about theology. There are some commentators, some pastors who talk about this is a theological. This is not a theological problem. There's zero in the context, the wording here, that, that shows anything that other than this is a conflict over style and personality and communication skills. That's what the problem is here. They're dividing up arguing over whose teaching was the best, whose words carried the most authority, who was worth paying the most attention to. And so we have some division here. Paul mentions he's, after all, the founding pastor of the church. He's the one who was with them and taught them uh, for a year and a half or so initially. He's the God-ordained apostle to the Gentiles. He has excellent credentials in every way. And so some said, we're following Paul. Others said, Apollos. 
Apollos knew Scripture inside and out. Uh, he is a very eloquent, powerful speaker. I wish I knew more about Apollos from Scripture. He's a fascinating character. And there, some have said, Apollos is our guy. And then there's Cephas. Who's Cephas? He's Peter, the rock. That's who Cephas is. And he's an original. He's not just one of the 12 original disciples. He's one of the three of the inner circle. He, he's the rock. He, he's, he's been with Jesus. So there were those who really thought Peter was the guy. And then there is the group that held out for Christ. And that sounds right, except that Paul doesn't talk as if they are right. And apparently what's going on is that they were rejecting all human leaders. So yeah, we, we, yeah you might want to pay attention to Paul or Peter, but we follow Jesus. We're the, we're the Jesus people. We don't need anybody else. And, and, and what this uh, is going on here is this is a hyper-spiritual approach. As wrong as it is to put a human leader on a pedestal above all others, human leaders are necessary in the church. The New Testament makes that quite clear. No one leader has the corner on truth. And, and so the folks who only listened to Apollos' podcasts were fighting with those who only used St. Paul's study Bible. By the way, I'm not a big fan of having your name on a Bible as it's your Bible. I, I went to a, a, a seminary where, where it was the Schofield Reference Bible, and that was, you know, okay, and I've got a few reference Bibles with somebody's name on it in, in my library. I don't think it's the greatest idea because I've seen time and again people confuse uh, the notes of that particular Bible teacher with the truth. Uh, it's, that's just their opinion, their interpretation, and it can be so dangerous. So, but you got people who are saying, yeah, I listen to Apollos, and, uh, or I've got uh, St. Paul's study Bible, and, and they're arguing with those who are wearing t-shirts that say Peter rocks on them. And there are all these differences of opinion here about who they're attached to. And instead of finding identity in Christ, they're, they're finding their identity in a spiritual leader. And Paul says, Jesus can't be cut up into little chunks so that you can have your own different peace. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one name under heaven given among humans that will save us. Uh, years ago when I was pastoring in Chicago, uh, I think it was after a service, uh, a young couple came up to me and uh, they said that they'd been attending for a couple of months and it was good here, uh, they said, but, it's always love this part, but uh, you know, it would be great if you were a little bit more like, and they named a very prominent internationally known pastor that was just maybe about half an hour down the road. And uh, this was somebody at that point I did not personally know. I admired his ministry. Uh, it was going well. He tended to wear uh, motorcycle jackets and yell a lot in his sermons. Uh, that was not me. Uh, and his church was, was doing great. Um, and, uh, but I, I said, you know, I appreciate that because uh, that, uh, they said, because we like this church to be like that church. And I said, well, you know what? We know who we are as a church, and I know who I am as God made me to be. And, and I said, you know, if that's something that resonates with you, you need to just go to that church and, and sit under that pastor. And, and, uh, and I, uh, I encourage people to go to other churches uh, frequently, actually. Uh, but uh, the, I, and had I known what I didn't know at that point, uh, I did not know until I got to know this guy personally uh, about a year or two later that he was a bully, 
that he was uh, obnoxious and misusing finances for personal use and so forth. Theologically, he was sound. Theologically, the church was good. He was a personal mess and essentially fall, fallen in disgrace. I would have never sent them there had I known that at that time. But what they were doing was that they were, they were connecting to a personality and saying, you needed to be like that. And that kind of cult of personality is all too prevalent in our world among politicians and celebrities and sports figures and on and on and on. It is deadly and dangerous in the church. And Paul says that that kind of uniting around personality personality is a cause of disunity, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop. The second cause that he mentions is making secondary things primary. That causes disunity. When you make secondary things primary, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Back in March, uh, when we were just about to celebrate a bunch of baptisms, we were closed down from in-person services for a while. Uh, Now, right now, we're working on how and when to make that happen again. Uh, Because it's very important. Baptism is the public identification of one who follows Jesus. And it's thrilling and encouraging to see children and students and adults testify of their faith in Christ. And then by going down into the water and under the water and coming up out of the water, they identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's important stuff. Important stuff. You know what's not important? Who baptizes you? Not important at all. Now, the church in Corinth took something as spiritually significant as baptism and put the focus in the wrong place. The identity of the baptizer is unimportant. Uh, It's not about who baptizes you. It's about who you're baptized into, and that's Jesus. uh, Now, Paul isn't downgrading baptism. He's uplifting Christ. Uh, Whenever secondary things become primary things, it creates all kinds of problems. And please hear me say, doctrine matters. Theology matters. I am passionate about that. But there are many, 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 many secondary beliefs over which honest Christians can differ. And there are primary beliefs without which there is no salvation. Now, some key primary beliefs that we hold to as a church is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. God the Father, out of his great love, sent Jesus, his Son, into the world to save his people from their sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for sin. He rose from the grave three days later, defeating death. He is the only way to salvation. All who put their trust in him alone are reborn as God's children. Their sins are wiped clean. They're given new life now with assurance of eternal life to come and that the risen Jesus is returning with glory to rule and to reign forever. Those are primary beliefs. I would die for those things. Those are critical for us. But then there are secondary beliefs, and there are so many of those. Things which people who take the Bible seriously have different opinions about and are still saved, still somebody I can have fellowship with. Like, whether it's when you get baptized, do you dunk or sprinkle? Uh, Is Jesus coming back before the tribulation, after the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or some other time? 
Can women be pastors or must they never teach men? Do you prefer organ and piano or guitar and drums or bagpipes and kazoo choirs? What do you prefer? Do you use the King James Version or the New International Version or the English Standard Version or the Coda Syntaticus in the original Greek? What, what do you prefer? Do you celebrate communion with unleavened bread or gluten-free crackers or wafers that taste like styrofoam? Which one do you use? Do you speak in tongues or not? Those are secondary issues. We can have a, a very firm opinion on what the Bible says about any one of those things, and we can discuss it, but I'm not going to die for it. Raise any secondary issue to a primary issue, and what you have there is false teaching. And there's a lot of that going on in our world. Secondary issues, minor issues, difference of opinion, raised to a primary level. And some examples is, are, are like, well, if you don't dunk all the way under, or if, or, or, then you're not saved. Or if you don't get baptized, then you're not a Christian. That raises the mode of baptism or the, the subject of baptism to primary when it's secondary. It, or if you have a woman preacher, you're a heretic. Well, that makes an understanding of, of roles and responsibilities a primary doctrine. Or you say, well, if you listen to rock music or, or hip-hop, you're, you're going to hell. Well, that moves a secondary preference to a primary truth. Or you say, well, unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Well, that changes a minor point of interpretation into a major doctrine. Not only was who baptized you secondary for Paul, he said baptism was secondary to preaching the gospel. Baptism itself, secondary preach the gospel. And it was so important, Paul says, that he avoided dressing it up with eloquent wisdom. Did you notice that? Why? I think that when Paul went to Corinth, he, he, he emphasized this more than, more than he did other places. He did not use great eloquence. He did not use sophistry, great wisdom, uh, when he spoke the gospel in Corinth. Particularly why? Because the culture of Corinth was obsessed with rhetorical brilliance. They were obsessed with it. They were so caught up in style that substance got ignored. They preferred artistic, uh, articulate artistry to transforming truth. And so Paul said, you know, I'm just going to avoid this because secondary preferences formed prejudices, and that destroys unity. When your preferences become prejudices, unity is in grave danger. And I say that because that all too often happens in the church of Jesus Christ, even in our day. So those are two causes of disunity. So let me then focus on the question of what creates unity in the church. And the answer is so very simple. It's in the words that Paul uses right from the beginning, where he says, I urge you in Jesus' name to agree. And literally, that uh, word translated agree means to say the same thing. Say the same thing. Now, the immediate question the Corinthians would have, and you could have it as well, is that, Paul, how is that possible? 
I mean, we've got people from all over the empire here. We've got people from different ethnicities and different backgrounds. We've got business owners and slaves. We've got rich. We've got poor. We've got folks who are thrilled when Apollo speaks and others who find you pretty boring, if you're honest, Paul. Uh, we've got vegetarians and omnivores. We've got people who love rockabilly country gospel and others who are into to hip-hop reggae fusion hymns. And so, Paul, we've got all these differences of opinion and differences of perspective. So how is it that we can say the same thing? Well, again, what Paul's focus is is not that we are lockstep in opinion and likes and dislikes in every area. Paul says, I understand this. Don't let your prejudices, don't let your preferences become prejudices. Don't let style or secondary issues or personality become primary because the priority is the cross of Jesus. That the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And even baptism takes a backseat to that. Otherwise, everything gets muddled and confused and we get off mission. We don't have time for petty differences. There's no place for small-mindedness. Some questions can't have multiple answers. So don't rip the cloth of the gospel. We must agree. We must agree on the main thing. And what is it that creates unity in the church? Unity is created when we say the same thing about Jesus. The same thing about Jesus. So you've got to stop muttering about Paul. You've got to stop sputtering about Apollos and stop whining about Peter when it's all about Jesus. We must say the same thing. We must say it together, say it loud and clear. We We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. May we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as divided as our nation is, and it is extremely divided, the church must say the same thing about Jesus. And so I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that there be no divisions and quarrelings among you, uh, that you be united around Jesus. Because the reality is that there are some of you, maybe even right now in this pew, stewing about some secondary, non-primary issue or exalting some other thing to a level that it shouldn't be exalted. And therefore, that has the potential to create disunity among us when there is the one that we must gather around and his name is Jesus. So what do old white men and women need? They need Jesus. What do young black women and black men need? They need Jesus. Jesus. What do business owners need and illegal immigrants need? They need Jesus. What do police officers and protesters and pastors need? They need Jesus. What do Republicans and Democrats need? They need Jesus. What do the deaf community need? They need Jesus. That's the answer. That's whom we must unite around. That's what I've given my life to do. I'm not the cool hip pastor, and Kluge, I never was the cool hip pastor. I'm not the trend-setting vision caster, but God has called me to lift up the name of Jesus. And if you agree in that, there's power in that to change the world. You know, I had the, the opportunity uh, years ago to participate in some Promise Keepers events, and uh, one of them I was with uh, tens of thousands of men in Soldier Field in Chicago, and then with hundreds of thousands of men gathered around the Washington Monument. And uh, 
know what's cool is, is to be with all those men and have men actually participating and, and singing because sometimes in church there are men, they, they just don't want to participate because maybe it doesn't seem manly or their wife is next to them and she knows what kind of guy you are and you don't want to sing next to her or you're embarrassed about your voice and so you might not participate as much. But you get a bunch of men uh, without any other ex- uh, thing around them and they, they will sing loud. And it was exciting to join with men from all different backgrounds united around the name of Jesus. And I remember one of the the songs that we sang uh, was Tommy Walker's Yes, We All Agree. And in a moment, I'm going to have you, Paul, lead us in in that song that Yes, We All Agree. But I, I, I want to hear you say that, to say yes, we all agree when we are gathered around Jesus. And when I say, do you agree that Jesus is Savior and Lord? What do you say? Yes, we all agree. Let me ask it again. Do you agree that Jesus is Savior and Lord? Yes, we all agree. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to share together with your people and to gather around the name of Jesus, the name by which There is only salvation. We thank you for this privilege, and we pray this through our Savior's name. Amen. We stand together for just a moment. and make this declaration of unity. This song goes back a little ways, uh, so we're going to learn this together.
like prayer today on this uh, third Sunday of the month. There are two elders in the prayer room, room just outside that door there, and they are there for this next half hour, available to pray with you and for you. And uh, of course, I'll be here at the front as well. But, uh, join me as I give this benediction to close our service today from Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in Christ Jesus that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever give Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say.